Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find out about the Creative Writer's Tool Belt handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt podcast, and it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 152 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. Have you ever wanted to write for the stage? Have you ever wanted to write a theatre script, but haven't had the incentive or help to get it done? Have you ever wondered what makes a Broadway producer decide to bring a show to the bright lights on the big stage? Well, you are about to find out because this episode is a conversation with Tony Award winning Broadway producer Ken Davenport. Ken has been involved in theatre production for over 25 years and has produced over a dozen Broadway shows, including the first Broadway revival of Godspell, the Tony Award-winning Best Musical, Kinky Boots, and Deaf West Theatre's version of Spring Awakening. In this episode, Ken gives us his tips for getting any kind of writing done and also how to finance and market your arts project. And that certainly includes a book launch. And he'll also be telling you how you can join one of his programs to help you get a theatrical manuscript written in just 30 days. And you can join that program for free. Now, we'll get to that conversation in just a moment. But first, a reminder that Christmas is coming. Yes, if you're listening to this podcast soon after it is launched, you will be well aware of the fact that Christmas is coming. But if you are still looking for ideas for presents for yourself to suggest to other people or for something that you can get for the writers and readers in your life, can I recommend two of my books which are available now? The Creative Writer's Toolbelt Handbook. Many of you will have heard of it. Some of you will already have a copy. This is the book that accompanies the podcast and condenses all of the best advice and insight I've received from writers, editors and agents over 100 episodes and condenses all of this into one volume which covers the fundamentals of writing dimensions like plot, character, setting, theme and voice. It's a great reference work to accompany the podcast. And then there's also my novel, The Centauri Survivors, a tale of exploration and betrayal on the first habitable planet discovered by humanity. And I just want to read you a little excerpt from the back jacket of that book to give you an idea of what happens in it. When a habitable planet is discovered just four light years from Earth, governments and private corporations rush to build a ship to take the first humans there. But only a few of the colonists wake up from cryosleep after the 60-year journey, and as the ship comes into orbit around the new planet, they find themselves surrounded by death. As the survivors scramble to make sense of what has happened, they find their own lives under threat, and, pursued by their enemies, they escape to the surface of the new planet. Caught between their human adversaries and whatever the planet throws at them, the survivors fight to stay alive as circumstances drive them towards a final, deadly confrontation. Now, both of these books would make great presents and you can find them now on Amazon. But if you're listening to this episode around the time it's released and you are looking for just something to read on your Kindle in December, then you are in luck because for just a couple of days, the ebook version of The Centauri Survivors is free to download. That's right, it's completely free to download to Kindle on Friday the 6th, Saturday the 7th of December 2019. So if you're curious about this book, but you haven't got around to checking it out, now is the time to do so. Go to Amazon, download a copy for free, and if you like it, please give it a review. And if you really like it, get a copy for someone else for Christmas. Thank you. 
Now back to this episode. And for this interview, I was joined by my son, Ben, who works in theatre production in London. So there's two of us firing the questions at Ken. Now, this was a brisk, fun conversation. We really enjoyed talking to Ken. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here it is. Okay, so welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, everyone. And today there are two of us doing the questioning because I am joined by my son, Ben. Ben, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you get up to? Yeah, hello, I'm Ben. I've recently just finished an MA in creative producing at Central School of Speech and Drama. My background, as I think with a lot of people in theatre, started in acting and it shifted into production when uh, you and I, Dad, ran the Canterbury Shakespeare Festival for about four years. And currently now I'm working in immersive theatre uh, and events in London with a team called Colab Theatre, who sort of one of the first, or well, the first fixed immersive theatre venue in the in the UK, which is very exciting. Thanks very much, Ben. So the reason why I have Ben joining me today is because my guest for this episode is the theatre producer, entrepreneur, and writer Ken Davenport. Ken, welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt. It's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I want to start um, by asking you if you could tell us a little bit about your background, your early years, and perhaps as well, because I think you started um, studying law and then you switched into to acting and went on from there. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was, a, I've tried to block out that time in my life when I wanted to. <laughs> Actually, I often, I read a lot of contracts now where I have a bunch of lawyers review contracts for me. And anytime I get a contract back that's been redlined or marked up, I thank God that I am not there. <laughs> I'm crazy by now. But yeah, uh, as Ben said, like most people, I started out as an actor uh, I until I got too cool for it when I was about 12 years old. And then I <laughs> turned to sports like most uh, young men. I thought I was going to play for the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Celtics simultaneously. <laughs> and then I got re-bit by the bug my senior year of high school when I saw Les Mis. I'm part of what I call the Les Mis generation. I'm 47. There's a whole bunch of us in the business now who are here because of Les Mis and the power of that show. Yeah. And I just remember being so moved when I saw it and it really changed my focus. And I just remember thinking, I want to move people like that. I want to, I want to have that effect on people. I want to, I want to make them want to do something. And I started to get back into performing. I quit my basketball team in a very dramatic scene, like right out of high school musical and <laughs> the basketball court. And I transferred when I got to college from Johns Hopkins University to Tisch at NYU, immersed myself in the theater world here. And the first experience I had on the other side of the table was as a production assistant on a big Broadway show. Mm, okay. And that's when I started to realize all the other different people that were necessary to put together a play or a musical. And I got very interested in that. And, you know, they say... To actors, the best advice is if you can do anything besides act, you should. <laughs> <laughs> and I it's very true, quickly yeah. was drawn to many different things. Yeah. And for a while, I stage managed, then I worked for an agent for a little while. And then I found myself company managing and general managing shows for about 10 years mm. until I stepped out and started producing and creating my show, own shows mm. about 15 years ago now. So can you tell us a little bit about the projects that you're working on right now? So I'm working on a number of different things. You know, Cy Coleman famously said in this business, you have, it's like gardening. You have to plant a lot of seeds 
because only a few will actually pop up out of the ground. Okay. So I'm constantly planting seeds. And this is something that I also refer to in the business. I use this entrepreneurial phrase or entrepreneurial phrase, as I like to call artists who are also have to be entrepreneurs these days, is what I think a producer or frankly, a modern day actor or writer does is serve the tennis ball. So we start the game. Um, if we want to, if I want to show, I have to find an author. So it's like starting a tennis game. I just mm. serve the ball and hopefully someone's going to hit it back to me. I'm a producer. Mm. I want the rights to something. I ask for the rights and I hope someone hits it back to me. So I serve a lot of tennis balls all day long. And I've got a bunch of shows that have hit it back to me right now. So I'm in rehearsals right now for a reading of a new musical based on the Vacation movie franchise. So if you know the Chevy Chase movies, Vacation, European Vacation, Vegas Vacation, Christmas Vacation, well, we're, we're developing Broadway Vacation. Okay. <laughs> those characters, the Griswolds, come to New York City for the first time. I'm also developing a musical based on the life and music of Neil Diamond. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm developing a musical based on the life of Joy Mangano, who was the subject of the movie Joy, about the QVC queen, that uh, single mom of who rags to riches story by creating and inventing, started with a mop, but has went on to sell millions and millions of dollars worth of products. Uh, so those are a few of the shows that are, are keeping me busy right now. There's a lot there, Ken. There's so much that you're doing. Um, your your story, you said the Les Mis generation, which which interests me because it's, it's quite similar to a lot of other things, starting as the production intern and going through general management. I, I'm, I'm really in, in, interested in sort of the diversity and the stuff that you've made. You've written a lot and produced a lot of diverse and innovative shows, particularly things like Once on This Island and Deaf Western's uh, Spring Awakening. Uh, which was the thing, I think the first, you can correct me on this, first fully integrated Broadway musical for people that had a hard of hearing difficulties. Uh, how do you marry the two disciplines of commercialism and social engagement uh, so they both succeed in your work? You know, it's a great question, and I wish I could tell you there is a real algorithm or <laughs> diligence process that I go to. But frankly, the first first thing that I have to check when I decide if I'm going to do a show or not is my gut. Mm. And mm. if the show gets me in my gut, I do it. I don't care what it is, who's in it, what the story is, the commerciality of it. I just do it. So the Deaf West Spring Awakening, I saw in Los Angeles, and within 15 seconds of seeing that show, I knew I was going to produce it on Broadway. I didn't have a financial model in place. I didn't have a theater yet. I didn't have anything. And this is a group of people that need to be on a Broadway stage. And I was a big believer in Michael Arden, the director's vision on it. Uh, same thing with Once in the Island. Again, another mm-hmm. Michael Arden collaboration. Yeah. I was a fan when I saw the show in 91, and I knew there was a way that we could present it for a modern day that would resonate even more. So I do shows that punch me in the gut first, and then what I do is try to create a business model that works around it to try to do that blend of art and commerce. Now, I'm thinking from a, from a writer's perspective as well with this stuff, Ken, and more than ever for writers and perhaps for all kinds of different artists, we all need to combine creative talent with commercial acumen. So as somebody who seems to be able to get that right, how, what advice would you give to, let's say, artists in general about, about balancing those two things? Well, look, you have to know 
what you want to do or where you want to go. Like I, I will tell you, there's a big difference between a, being a playwright and being a Broadway playwright. Like those are two different things because the audiences for Broadway are very different than the audiences in your hometown. Yeah. Here on Broadway, the audience is 65% tourist, 18% international, right? So that's a very specific audience. They're going to see a very specific type of show. So I tell people I'm a Broadway producer. I'm not just a musical producer, a play producer. I have to keep that audience in mind. Like this is, the, I think, the most important thing. And the, and the writers that are the most successful commercially do think about the audience first and foremost. It's why I, you know, I, I have a podcast and I've interviewed Tony winners and Oscar winners and all this. And I found a very interesting similarity between a number of very successful writers. Lynn Ahrens, Once on this Island, right? Mm-hmm. Joe DiPietro. Memphis, upcoming Diana, which mm-hmm. mean a lot to you. Uh, uh, who else? Um, Rick Ellis is another yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Jersey Boys. So those three people alone all worked in advertising before they wrote for the musical theater. And that's a very specific trend I've noticed. And mm. there are more. And I think the reason is because they, one, learned how to write fast because they were on deadlines. And two, they were writing for an audience. They were writing to sell something. They weren't writing just for themselves. So I think that to be a commercially successful writer, you have to remember you are writing for something to be consumed and enjoyed. You are not just writing to satisfy yourself. That's a different type of art. And that's fine. I'm not judging either one. But you do have to remember that you're commercially, it's going to depend on whether that audience wants to consume whatever it is you're producing. Okay. Now, the other great challenge I find for writers, and again, I think this is probably true for a lot of different art- artists, let's say, and, art- and performance, is raising awareness for your work. So how do you do that in a smart way? How do you raise awareness for your book or your theatrical production or your film or, or whatever you're doing? What, what kind of ideas would, would you throw out for that? Well, it's an essential part of everyone's job now. You can't just be a writer. You can't just be an actor. You can't just be a director. You do have to be a marketer. I often say if you're not willing to market your own stuff, no one else will. Yeah. It's not, you should be more passionate than anyone about getting your stuff out there in the world. And of course, the easy answer to this question is have social media, right? Make sure you're updating it have a website. (laughs) A lot of people don't actually, but I will tell you that, believe it or not, the most important tool that all entrepreneurs should have is an email list because everyone wants to have the latest social media. Oh, but that is actually not, if you look throughout online history, what's the one thing that hasn't changed in since the internet began yeah email yeah absolutely yeah. i still have my very very first aol email address that i got in 1993 it's <laughs> malibu ken at aol.com like a really cheesy college aol i don't use it of course but those things still exist 
Mm. MySpace disappeared. Twitter is already going by the wayside. Email address, uh, email list of your quote unquote fans mm. is the most important thing. One actor recently told me that he's been developing his email list so successfully over the past couple of years that every time he wants to do a concert, one email will sell him, sell it out. Yeah. That means he can make money. That means he doesn't have to have a survival job of waiting tables. That means he could spend more time working on his craft, which means he will be better, which means he'll get more jobs and he'll achieve the things he wants to do. So email, create an email, start small and just keep building it. Every time you, you do a play, collect the email addresses from the people who have seen that play, collect business cards and update them once a month on everything you're doing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's ch- ch- charming with me quite a lot because I'm just thinking about those sort of things at the moment. So I just t- you say entrepreneur is that a sort of a, a phrase that you use entrepreneurs in the artist entrepreneur? Are, yeah, instead of brilliant. entrepreneur, because I think a lot of artists don't think about themselves as entrepreneurs, and they must, must, must. I love that phrase. That's a great phrase. So you've written a book called How to Write a Script in 30 Days. And can you tell us essentially what's the essential ingredients you think in writing a script when you sit down and do it, apart from just speed? <laughs> you have to get the idea. Yeah. So I've been writing a blog for about 10 years and people always ask me, for a while I was doing it every single day. Now I do it a few times a week. And for a long time, people were asking me like, oh, how do you find the time to write the blog? And I would actually say writing the blog is the easy part. The hard part is the idea. Once you get the idea, the writing can just come once you are in the groove and you've trained yourself to write. So there are two parts of it. One, it's finding that idea, getting that thing that you want to write about. And then it is just like it's training yourself to find a routine and a process. It's like going to the gym. No one likes to go to the gym on the first day. But if you go to the gym every day for a couple weeks, if you run a mile every day, by the time you get to the third week, it's a habit, it's a routine, you will just do it. Some days you'll run faster, some days you'll run slower, but you will do it. The most important thing that writers can do is find a routine for themselves to write and write often and get it out on paper. Don't judge it, don't be a perfectionist, just puke it up, as I say. Because mm. once you have, and that's what the book is all about. And frankly, listen, my, my staff hates when I say this, but I'll tell you this right now. You can get the book on Amazon. You can get it on Audible, but you also don't have to. If you go to 30dayplaychallenge.com, 30dayplaychallenge.com, you can get the same principles for free. You just sign up and we'll send you emails and we'll tell you the whole book basically for free. And it will guide you through the process. And at the end of the 30 days, you're going to have a script. Is the script going to be Angels in America? Death of a Salesman? Absolutely not. (laughs) But what it will be is a lump of clay in the middle of the room that you can start to shape. And hopefully over time and revision, turn into the next Angels in America. But Mm -hmm. you won't get it there until you have the lump of clay. So I encourage writers to spit that thing up, get that idea in paper in whatever crappy form it is, because then that's when it's it's much easier to rewrite than it is write the first one. And you've got a bit of a unique position also being that you sit on both sides of that table, the writer and the producer. 
as a producer as well, what are you looking for in the scripts? What what are the best ones? What sets them apart, particularly in shows that you've worked with? Well, again, I look for ideas that punch me in the stomach that I'm interested yeah. in. I look for ideas that are timely or that resonate, that answer a why now. And also that that answer this question of why on the stage. From a play perspective or a musical perspective, I always say, why are we telling it on the stage? Because it's a it's very hard to produce a Broadway musical or play. It's expensive takes a long time. It's easier to write a book. It's easier to produce a film, television, whatever it is. So if it doesn't demand to be told on a stage, and which means have an inherent theatricality about it, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And then lastly, from a technique perspective, I look for structure. You know, I look for someone in plays that really adhere to classic structure, whether that's Aristotle and the poetics, whether that's the monomyth, whatever that is, that people really understand the structure of a player or music. And it, and it can fit, it's still sort of physically, it can fit into on stage. You can see it pictured yeah. in that act structure. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, so Ken, I want to pick up on just something that you said a little bit earlier. You were, you were talking about writing a script in 30 days and that gives you kind of something to work with, your lump of clay. And then you you briefly alluded to how you can then refine that into something better. Can you give us a couple of clues as to if people are working on scripts, what are the things which take that lump of clay, that kind of half finished script mm. and push it towards completion? Oh, that's a good question. I think that once you have the lump of clay, the first thing I advise people to do is actually read it. You know, is don't judge it too much. Get a bunch of people in a room and just read what you have. Mm order some pizza, open up a glass of a bottle of wine and just have some fun because that's actually what plays were meant to be, right? Plays were meant to be read. They weren't out loud. They weren't meant to be read on the page. You don't pay $150 to see a Broadway musical and then just hand everyone a script and say, we'll see you in two and a half hours. It's <laughs> <laughs> not how the, the content was meant to be consumed. So I tell people, right, you, you learn so much when you read it out loud. And on top of that, when you gather people in a room, especially theater people, not only will you learn a lot from hearing people read your dialogue, but usually someone at the end of the reading will say, what are you going to do next? And it kind of inspires you and encourages you to, one, do a redraft and then figure out what the next step will be. Again, it's having these readings is another example of serving the tennis ball. So I encourage people throw the lump of clay out and then get people to come over and play with it. Um, it will get you to the next step. And then it's about bringing on a director and trying to put the thing on its feet. Okay. Now you've also written a book about raising money for the arts and obviously your specific context is theater, but more and more, artists in the broadest sense need to raise money for their work. So what, what are the lessons that you've learned in your particular discipline that you think can be applied across different, different artistic pursuits? Yeah, look, raising money for the arts or basically anything it could be to cure a disease. It could be for whatever chair. It's all the same. And primarily people invest in people. So the most important thing that you can do is be unbelievably passionate about whatever it is that you're raising money for. 
and I have I have a lot of consulting clients and coaching clients that come to me and say like, oh, I'm not very good at raising money. And then I say, tell me about your show. Their eyes light up. They're practically jumping up and down. They're going like, <laughs> and I stop them and I say, you're amazing at raising money for your show. What you're not good at is asking. But you're you're telling the story. You're describing why it's important, why it should be told now. This is sales. This is raising money. You just have to get better at saying, will you invest in me? And people don't like to do that. But it's absolutely necessary. And again, if you're not willing to ask for money for your own project, how can you expect anyone else to do the same? Yeah. You know, I was talking to a very, very high profile artist I was, I'm working with right now mm. yesterday. And I made a joke about how they had called when an investor of mine was in the room. And I had said, oh, your ears must have been burning. <laughs> because I was just meeting with an investor and just talking about your show. And this artist, who has a, doesn't have a lot of time, said to me, Ken, if ever you want me to get on the phone and talk to one of these people, you let me know. I will tell them how important this show is. <laughs> and I was like, that is amazing. But that's what it takes. No matter what level yeah. you are in your career, you have to be willing to say, this is important. And I need you to invest in it. Great. You've sort of touched on it a little bit, Ken, but not in so many words. But as a producer, leadership is central to your role. And it's something that I'm thinking a lot about as well. Just how do you lead and support and inspire artists and creatives and the production team that are around you whilst at the same time being disciplined with them and being commercial with them, if that makes sense? And you've sort of touched on it there about inspiration. But can you talk a little bit about how that works for you? Well, Again, it all comes down to passion for the material because if you are passionate about the project, then people are going to be attracted to that passion, right? So mm -hmm. part of that is like being so in it that when you have to deliver difficult news or tough news that they go, oh, well, Ken loves this show so much or Ken is willing to do so much that there must be a really good reason why we can't afford this or why we can only have two weeks of rehearsal or why he's firing this other person that I really liked. So it's about that. It's about making sure that they know you're in it for the right reason and that you're all on the same team. Great. Thank you. So I'm thinking now particularly about advice that you might give to artists. And again, broadly art, I'm talking art. I mean, a lot of the people that listen to this are writers. There are so many people now who are desperate to, to make it in the art form that they are practicing. What advice would you give to somebody who, just, who wants to break through, who wants to achieve their aspirations? And you've touched on this a little bit already, but are there other things that you would say to them? Being a successful artist is like being a successful athlete or a successful <clears throat> anything. You know, if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's The Outliers, or you've heard about the 10,000-hour rule, about how yeah. it takes 10,000 hours to become a master at anything, whether it's chess, violin, or writing. Writing is something we've all done since we were little kids, right? You write a story, you write a thing. But too many people, I believe, think that, oh, I'm just going to write this thing, and that's it. It's going to be the next Rocky, or it's going to be the next big movie, and I'm just going to burst out onto the scene. And that just rarely happens, just rarely happens. To be a great writer, to be a successful writer means to be, it means you have to commit to a life of a writer. It means you need to write all the time. You need to find yeah. time for it. 
And I don't care what you're writing. You can be, listen, I started the blog 10 years ago. I'm a better writer today of all different kinds because I started that blog 10 years ago. Right? Writing every day set me in a, on a path and a routine. Write monologues for people, write plays, write articles, write novels, write short stories, write greeting cards. I don't care what it is, but write, write, write. If, and it's, it's just like athletes. You don't, listen, I'm a golfer, right? And I've actually gotten better since I started. You know why? Because I hit golf balls every day. Mm. Mm. The greatest golf, Tiger Woods has been golfing since he was two years old, right? Tom Brady has been playing football since he was a kid. The greatest soccer player, the greatest whatever they are, have put in immense amounts of time. So if you think you're just going to write in your spare time, spit out one script, and all of a sudden become the next great screenwriter or the not great novelist, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's very rarely the first thing that people write that becomes their big hit. It's usually much deeper than that, right? Great example of this is Lin-Manuel Miranda and Hamilton. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. He wrote a musical before that called In the Heights, which was also very good, and he happened to be very successful with it. But it's nowhere near Hamilton. Nowhere near. Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent, famously wrote a couple of musicals before Rent. Yeah, Tick, Tick, Boom. Right. And they weren't very good. Yeah, fantastic. Right? So, like, it, it, Rent was later. So write and get stuff up. If you're a playwright, write and get it up in front of people because that's actually where you find out if it's any good. If you're a novelist, write, spit it out, let people read it, shorts, whatever it is. Write like crazy. You know, I get up every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning so that at 5.30 I can have an hour of writing time. That's it. You have to find the time to write mm. and write. Fantastic. So – is there anything else that you want to share with us, Ken? We're coming to a close now, but um, is there final advice or maybe you can tell us how we can kind of find out more about you. Is there anything else that, that you want, would want to share with, with my listeners? Yeah, listen, if you're interested in this and learning more about it, you can read my blog at theproducersperspective.com. But frankly, if you're a writer out there or a, not a writer, but just have an idea uh, and you want to get it out on paper, you're struggling with writer's block, do go to 30dayplaychallenge.com. That's 30dayplaychallenge.com. And sign up for the free script challenge. If you follow every step of the way, you will have, we guarantee, a script in 30 days. Uh, and then that's when things can really take off for you. Uh, the last thing I'll tell you is that writing can be very lonely. You know, everyone knows what it's like staring at that blank cursor. Mm. Like, God, will I ever put anything on the page? <laughs> it can be very, very lonely. So find a group, find a community, find a tribe, join a writer's group, create a writer's group. We have this community online at the Producers Perspective Pro where we've just put tons of writers together. We have our big conference sure. this weekend. It's so much easier to get stuff out and get stuff done when you realize that you are not alone and that people are going through the same thing you are going. So mm. find a tribe. Okay, so those, those two links again are, are producersperspective.com and 30-day play challenge. That's three zero, is it, I presume? Dayplaychallenge.com. 30dayplaychallenge.com, three zero. Fantastic. Okay then, Ken, thanks very much for your time. It's Thank been you, a Ken. pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Likewise, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or me, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com. Thank you.